For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Welcome to The Rock Podcast. The Proverbs warn that whoever sets a trap for others will be ensnared by it themselves. And that's exactly what happens here in the book of Esther to the villain whose name is Haman. We've reached the climax of the drama in these chapters as we see God quietly and cleverly disarm the enemy and allow his murderous plot to backfire. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Don't Hang with Haman. Alrighty, good evening again. We're going to dive in. Esther chapter 5, where we left off last time. Esther chapter 5, we're going to pick up at verse 9 and put your finger there. We will eventually get there. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we're just in the middle of this exciting book of Esther. Some important truths tonight. We pray that your spirit would open our hearts and, and help us to hear your still small voice speaking to us, Lord, through the lives of these characters. We have a lot in common here and there with uh, these folks, Lord, and, and we just pray that we can learn and uh, grow closer to you and more in your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the book of Proverbs lays it out rather clearly. Here we go. If you set a trap for others, you will get caught in it yourself. If you roll a boulder down on others, it will crush you instead. And that's Proverbs 26 and verse 27. Now, you know, that is the perfect most illustration for what's going to happen tonight with our character, the villain Haman. In tonight's story, this very truth is going to be uh, lived out. So we are in the middle of Uh, The book of Esther, chapter 5, there are 10 chapters. And uh, if you're just joining us, you picked a really good night because the the drama reaches its crescendo uh, this evening. And so uh, the guy who is setting the trap in this story to bring you up to uh, the context here, his name, of course, is Haman. Now, the who in this story, he's a proud narcissist. We're going to see evidence of that this evening. And uh, he is uh, called, in chapter 3, Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And so he is second in charge. He's he's right under King Xerxes, who rules the entire uh, Persian Empire. So that's 2.5 million square miles. Uh, Everything from India over all the way to Ethiopia. So there are a lot of people, indeed, who call him king. Uh, Xerxes, and he's Haman, the villain, is just number two. The guy is going to set the trap and fall into it instead. And so he comes, Haman comes from a long line of anti-Semites, uh, in other words, of, of Jew haters, to put it quite bluntly. Uh, he descends, he's, a, he's an Amalekite, we've been told. And so for a thousand years, his people have been trying to eradicate the state of Israel. And so he wants nothing more than to be the hero, the one who's actually going to do the deed. And he has a plan, as you'll recall. So let's talk about the how. 
The how of this plan, this trap that he set for others, that he himself is going to find himself tripped up into, uh, this one Jew in particular, you'll recall his name is Mordecai, and he lights his fuse. Uh, Mordecai the Jew works in the king's gate, which, is, uh, which means that he works in the administration uh, offices of the king's palace. Uh, he refuses to bow down whenever the vice president, uh, Mr. Wonderful Heman, struts through. And so he, uh, he knows what's in this Amalekite's heart. He knows he's an Amalekite. He knows what he's capable of doing, and so he's just not going to give him that common courtesy because he knows where his heart is at, uh, and he knows what he's capable of doing. Uh, with or without this, this incident, uh, this guy has got it out for the Jews. And so uh, he, he goes to the, his best buddy, the king, his drinking buddy, and he dupes the king, Haman now, the bad guy, dupes the king into signing a decree to wipe out every Jewish person on earth. And there are 15 million Jews living under the Persian realm. And so a lot of people's lives are at stake. And so uh, what we are finding out now that the the lots have been uh, cast and and, um, March 7th of the following year uh, is the date where all the Jews would be destroyed. And so what the king doesn't know is he just signed an an executive order to execute his wife that he loves, Esther. He doesn't know she's a Jew. But the readers know that Haman does not know that he is plotting to kill, in essence, the king's wife the queen of the Persian Empire. And so, you know, the scary music starts about now, and you start to to think, oh, no, this guy's in for it. Well, yeah, he is. And so when we last uh, left off, uh, so which brings us to our jumping-off point to jump into chapter 5, the king's order to destroy the Jews has gone public, right? But Esther doesn't even know about it because she's in her ivory palace, and, and, but everybody else knows on the outside. So Mordecai, the Jew, he, he, he's cousins, cousin to the queen, and uh, he comes undone with the rest of the Jewish people, and he sends word to his cousin, who is the queen, you better do something. And you'll remember her initial reaction is, you don't understand, Mordecai, how it works in here. I could get myself killed. And he sends back and says, listen, you are Jewish, you will die. You will not escape. And who knows if, if your destiny, your, your very birth, the reason you live is that God allowed you to be in the place you are to save the day for the Jews. So think about it. And so um, she thinks about it, and she, she, has a, uh, she, she has a change of heart, and she puts on her royal robes, and she goes to take her place there. And the king extends the golden scepter of mercy. And she, she approaches him. And he says, Queen Esther, tell me what it is you would risk your life for. You know, what, what is it I can help you with? Up to half of my kingdom, meaning your wish is, is my desire. I'm going to grant it. And so uh, she says, I want you to come to a dinner. Invite Haman, your drinking pal, 
and the three of us will have dinner. So they have dinner, and you remember what happened. Uh, she kind of lost her courage there because after the dinner plates were taken away, and they're enjoying their after-dinner time together, relaxing. He clears his throat. The king says, now what was it that caused you to risk your life, queen, my wife, to come into a place like that? What do you need from me? And she pauses, and she says, um, she looks at Haman, little Hitler, right? <laughs> and she says, oh, will you come to dinner tomorrow? And so he Luckily for everybody in the story, the, the king is kind of intrigued by this cute little gutsy woman who's saying, I'm not going to tell you right now, can you come to a dinner? Same time, same place, same people, tomorrow night, and then I will tell you what's on my heart. And so, uh, so when it was time to go after the banquet, verse 9, Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai still at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had been elevated above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman adds. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she's invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all of this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, have a gallows built 75 feet high and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go with the king to that dinner and party and be happy. Crying out loud. <laughs> this suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the gallows built. All right, let's pause there and talk about this guy. The pride of man, if you're taking notes, is a nice, appropriate heading for this. Now, uh, Haman's motto is, it's all about me, and God help the soul who gets in between of me and what I want. And so, wow, how ugly this is. Now, everybody knows uh, what comes after pride, right? The fall, right? And so we're just waiting for that to happen. He built a very tall gallows. And so, Wow, ugly pride and self-centeredness, and it just produces this ugly, terrible thing. And, and when we see it on other people, it is ever so more despicable than when it's in our lives, you know? And, and part, part of the therapy of God's word is that you get to, to see the ugliness of that kind of thing on somebody else, and you can kind of be in the story and learn vicariously. You don't have to go through it. You don't have to hang with Haman. You can learn from Haman's lesson, and you can look at Haman and say, oh, what a, what a self-centered, proud, ugly 
personality he has and all of this boasting and self-centeredness. And so, you know, the cool thing about God's word is that he wants us to see it in Haman, all of this boasting and self-centeredness, and so that we can identify it in our own hearts and confess it and turn from it and be healed and have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live other-centered, different than this ugly, terrible, self-centered guy who worships the unholy trinity. You've heard the unholy trinity, right? Me, myself, and I, you know? It's nasty. It terribly is. So let's break it down. Uh, Haman leaves uh, the royal banquet happy and high-spirited and uh, perhaps a little bit too much wine. Uh, And so... uh, there's false confidence, and he's, he's, so he's got a false rush of happiness. He's in the top of the world, you know. He's whistling his favorite tune, you know, probably zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, and whatever. He's clicking up his heels, and, you know, um, his ego's been stroked. That's what's happened, and he's so happy about that. And so he's had this unexpected honor at this banquet, the king and queen want him to come again to, and discuss this private matter. Whatever's bothering Esther, he's invited to hear her dilemma. And so he just can't. He's so thrilled. And so uh, not just uh, one private banquet, but two. And so Haman's head is inflated uh, really to is about as far as a head can be inflated without bursting. I mean, listen to him. Uh, he says, uh, and alas, his thrill is short-lived because uh, uh, Mordecai's fast is over, and so he's discarded his sackcloth, and he's back at work. So he's back in the front office, and Haman has to walk by him. And so it happened again. So uh, he walks by him and he doesn't stand as Mr. Wonderful goes by. And instead of shuddering in fear, Mordecai shrugs his shoulders when he walks by and kind of, you know, does a big horse-like yawn, you know. Here he comes, you know, and everybody's like, ooh, here he is, ooh. Everybody's standing up and he's just yawning like a big horse, you know, how they do that with their lips, you know. And so... He just stops, and he's filled with rage. And so uh, Haman shows restraint, your, your text says. This is very interesting to me, verse 10. He shows restraint. Okay. In keeping with his personality, he's cold and calculated as a person. So he's going to bide his time, and he's going to cheer himself up, even though he just wants to kill him right then and there. He shows restraint. One writer said this. It's not that evil people have no sensibility or character qualities like self-control. They do. They just convert those attributes uh, to connive and manipulate to get what they want. Some of the most gifted, talented, sensible people are the most evil and corrupt people in the world. Amen? (laughs) Just watch the news tonight. You'll see what I'm talking about. So uh, he comforts himself, you know, with the thought of the upcoming decree, no doubt. So in the meantime, it's time to gather all his friends around and, and, and probably just kind of have a little brag fest 
all right? Because his feelers have just been hurt, and so he calls everybody together to, to go down the list of how wonderful he really is. And so the Proverbs say this, and in Proverbs 12, it says, the heart of fools blurt out folly. So here comes a bunch of folly in your text. He calls together his friends who turn out to be hired co-workers. So they're, they're, they're advisors. So he doesn't really have friends who aren't paid to kind of be his friends, all right? But he does have a wife, and boy, does he have a wife. We're going to talk about her. So, so he's going to share the glory and tell the story of Haman the Magnificent to his friends and to his wife. So he starts with his money. You know, he says, listen, guys, I went to cash my check today, and they didn't have enough cash on hand to supply it, not just the teller, the whole branch, because of how large that check really was. And so he's bragging about all the bells and the whistles on his new fleet of chariots and, and his new villa he's building at the coast of the Mediterranean. The list goes on ad nauseum, all right, about his wealth. And then he turns to his sons and he says, you know, did I mention, of course, that I have 10 sons? You know, my son, the doctor, my son, the lawyer, my son, the politician, you know, it's okay to lowercase be proud of your children's accomplishments, all right? But it's not okay to live vicariously through them, and it's not okay to use your children as some kind of trophy to stroke your ego and to inflate your understanding of yourself importance to find your worth amen and so that's what he is his kids to him are just one means one more means to gain a better reputation in the community you know i got 10 sons and listen to what they do and this is how much they make and this is where they're studying and all of that stuff just so that you will admire me a little bit more he doesn't care uh, much for the sons. And then he goes to his rank, you know, and it says, did I mention I'm number two guy in the whole Persian empire? You know, that's verse 11. And then uh, my favorite line so far is verse 12. And wait, there's more. <laughs> Look at that. I mean, that's where the infomercial guys get it from, right there. So verse 12, he says, the recent events, he says, listen, I happen to be the one and only guy that Queen Esther has invited to a banquet with her and her husband. Not just today, but tomorrow as well. Wow. Uh, am I not truly a, a, a marvel to behold? You know, this, this is his attitude, you know. I mean, if the king promoted me one more time, you know, I'd have his job. That's his attitude. So his, uh, you know, so... I need glasses. Just, I'm just going to admit it. Yeah. His face falls, all right? I thought it said fails. How can you fail your face? Well, don't answer that. Ladies especially, do not fail your faces in the morning. Yeah, that wasn't very thoughtful. I'm sorry. So his face falls, his eyes squint, there's a blaze of fury in those two little dots. His voice drops, and he uh, gets a very serious tone. And there's a verse 13, a pathetic confession. He says, none of the things that I've listed gives me one ounce of pleasure, while that 
Jew lives and works at that front office where I have to pass him every single day. Wow, that's sad, right? He says, well, that Jew, Mordecai, lives. My life is miserable. And I was just thinking, oh, Dr. Phil, (laughs) after reading all of this stuff, man, I can just hear Dr. Phil just reading that paragraph and saying, can you say psychosis? The diagnosis here is narcissism, all right? Now, the origin of the word comes from that mythological Greek character, a narcissist, right? We got a picture of an Italian Baroque artist uh, in the year 1598, painted this picture. The narcissist fell in love with the reflection of himself. And he ended up getting so close, he drowned in himself because he loved what he saw. And so we've taken that word and call it a psychosis, a psychological disorder, uh, narcissism, right? And we call that person a narcissist. And so thank you uh, for that picture. And so uh, I like the, the description of what a narcissist is. A delusional view of one's own importance, talents, or appearance, along with a never-satisfied craving for admiration, that is human. And I also like the psychological definition. Self-centeredness arising from failure to distinguish the self from external objects, either in very young babies or as a feature of mental disorder. Now, what does that separation mean? It means a delusion characterized by thinking you are the center of the universe. That's really what it's all about. Oh, I read this terrible quote. Uh, John Barrymore, he was a real legendary Shakespearean actor. And he did a little Broadway back in the early 1900s. But here's what he said. Oh, my. One of my greatest regrets during my years in theater is that I couldn't be in the audience to watch me. (laughs) I'm feeling nauseous. (laughs) Well, what exactly is going on here? Uh, I mean, is it a psychosis or just a willful embrace of pride and selfish ambition, really? Really what it is is a failure of the human soul to uh, distinguish itself from God. That's what it is. And so whatever it is, one thing for sure, Haman has a bad case of it. And he's probably bragging about that too. You know what? I'm the greatest narcissist there ever was. (laughs) You know, he's proud of it. So uh, the only one cure, by the way, for narcissism is to abdicate the throne of your own heart And let the rightful king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who created you in the first place, uh, in front of whom you shall give an account for the life that he lent you, right? And so to let him have his position, and you take your rightful low place. The word humble means like to be in the dirt. That's where we belong, at his feet. Who are we? A bunch of little grasshoppers or hopping around this planet, you know, and... 
Uh, that's the way out of narcissism is to get a, uh, a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord and be filled with the Holy Spirit who can put that narcissist down, right? Uh, what did the Lord say? Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. You see, Haman's problem is he found himself. He's always finding himself. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And the Lord said, you haven't found yourself. You've lost yourself. But when you lose yourself for God's sake, for the center of the universe, for the source of life's sake, then you find out who you are in his grand scheme of things. Amen? Amen. Now, his wife and friends, uh, coming up toward the end here uh, of the paragraph, they offer a different solution. Instead of, hey, die to yourself, you big baby, they say, Mordecai needs to die. And that in a gruesome way. Zeresh. Zeresh means in Persian, one with disheveled hair. Now, <laughs> do you know what? That's exactly how I pictured her. You know, I've got a picture of her right here. <laughs> Cruella DeVille. It, the pro, she's the prototype. Look at her hair. It's disheveled, right? Well, okay, what does she say? She's the one who comes up with the idea, you know? You, you build a gallows for crying out loud. What, is he, what does she say? She says, dude, you're number two. You just told us all for a half an hour. Prove it, big boy. Have a mega gallows made to the sky. Ask the king first thing in the morning to hang that Mordecai, that Jew, upon those gallows. And then go to dinner and be happy. You know, and his face lights up and he's all happy, you know? Now, on Judgment Day, when the Lord is passing out all the prizes for the Worst Wife Award, <laughs> Miss Messy Hair is right up there. She's right up there. I know. I have it right in my notes. Job's wife, right? When Job's having a hard time and he's saying, hey, we got to accept good from the Lord as well as bad. And she says, are you still holding on to integrity? Curse God and die and get this thing over with, right? <laughs> Little did you know, they met on eHarmony. <laughs> nobody knows this. And you know who else met? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I can pick on Christian Mingle, too, all right? I, 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 that's where Ahab met his wife, Jezebel, all right? What did Jezebel say? Ahab came home one day crying about something, and he says, oh, I talked to Naboth. I saw this beautiful garden. I would love to grow some organic veggies there, and he won't let me. And she said, Jezebel says, I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you how to kill that guy. Uh, in fact, I'll get it all done for you. And then she, she, she frames the guy, gets two thugs to, to, to kill Naboth in cold blood. And when he's dead in the street, she comes prancing in and says, get up, cheer up. The guy's dead. Go get your garden. That's not a good wife. <laughs> That's a bad wife. So some, some writer said, sadly, no one surprised that Mrs. Haman is full of the same hate and disregard for human life as is her husband. 
When I was looking for a wife, I was looking for someone with character, with class, someone who I could admire and be inspired by. And I found her. And I've been living with her for 30 years, living with sunny and mild 30 years. <laughs> her name's Barb. Sorry, Barb, wherever you are. All right, so moving on now, uh, Heyman retires for bed, Betty Bye. You know, the guests are probably, they're going home, kind of relieved to get some fresh air uh, from him, right, away from him. So Heyman sleeps well that night because he has visions of gallows dancing in his head, but someone else is not sleeping well, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6. That night, the king couldn't sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai, the Jew, <laughs> had exposed Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers, <laughs> officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing's been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the court, outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he erected for him. As Scooby-Doo said, rot roll. <laughs> Come on, you laughed even though I said that last week. Wow. All right, and so, yes, yeah, so now we have the pride of man and we have the providence of God. All right, the providence of God, the definition of providence is kind of easy. God has his hand in every detail of life, good and evil, to bring about his worthy purpose. You know, somebody said to me, you know, such and such has just happened, but God's hand is in it. And I always, I know exactly what that means, but, but what isn't God's hand in? God's hand is in all things, working all things together for our good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. So providence is just the perfect timing, the perfect people, the right place at the right time saying the right thing or the wrong thing because he's at work. And so... You know, the definition you've heard, there's no such thing as coincidence here. I mean, check out that paragraph, man. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Have you ever heard that? That's just so awesome. So uh, there, there, there should be a bunch of little uh, winky face emoticons. Uh, ever, you know those? There should be a bunch of those all throughout this book. Because it's kind of like, you know, for example, you go back to the text. I mean, you know, for some odd reason, the king can't sleep. Winky face, right? I wonder why. Of all the nights in the world, this king can't sleep. Whoa, yeah. Okay, so, and it just happens to be the night before Haman wants to hang Mordecai, right? Winky face. So, uh, the restless king, the restless king, just by chance, instead of music, Instead of exercise, instead of a, a tall glass of milk, 
Instead of anything, he says, bring me some records, just by chance. You know, he's going to ask for the, thank you, for the records. He's just going to say, let me see, what could I do tonight? Well, I think, you know, as it turned out, just by chance, he, he, he wanted the records, the minutes of his administration. He's thinking, what could be more boring than to hear the minutes of the business day, right? So start reading them, and then just by chance, it opens up to a story he forgot long ago, a few years ago. What happened? What is this? Somebody tried to kill me. Oh, that's right. And this guy named Mordecai, Mordecai the Jew, saved the day. Wow. An assassination attempt on his life. Well, that got him uh, even more awake, you know. And so he has a name, Mordecai. So he says, he stops the reader. And he says, listen, do we do anything for this guy, Mordecai the Jew? And he says, no, no, we didn't do anything. Did he, did he get a promotion? No. Did we give him a plaque or a medal? No. How about a Johnny Garlic's gift card? <laughs> nothing, nothing. Nope, not even a thank you. Zippo, right? So now, by chance, it just happens to be dawn, right? Okay. <laughs> Happens to be morning time, you know, and it's early morning hours. It's a little early, and the bell goes off, and he says, who could that be so early in the morning? And someone says, it just happens to be, by chance, Haman, right? <laughs> so Haman is asked to join him. Well, yeah, he wants to talk about Mordecai. Haman wants to talk to the king who just found out that Mordecai is the name of the guy who saved the king's life. Haman wants to kill that guy and wants to talk to the king about that guy, but the king wants to talk to him about that guy too. Oh, yeah, big winky face. One more time. <laughs> He's not the only one who wants to talk about Mordecai. Let's just see, 5 through 11. That was just one extra one for fun. His attendants answered, oh, it's Haman out there. Stand in the court. Bring him in, the king orders. When Haman entered, the king says straight up, what should be done for the guy? The king delights to honor. Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? Oh. So he answered the king, hmm. You know, notice there's not a lot of time here. He knows exactly what should be done. For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with the royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commands Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you suggested for Mordecai the Jew <laughs> who sits at the king's gate. Oh, you don't need to tell him where the king, where he sits. 
because he knows very well where he sits. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. <laughs> Do it all. Don't delete any of that. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him horseback through the, horseback through the city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Wow. That's like a million winky faces right there, okay? I'll spare you having to see that again. All right, but number three would be poetic justice. So pride of men, the providence of God, and now poetic justice. Poetic justice is when somebody experiences a very fitting retribution for one's actions. And boy, is this really over the top. And, and poetic justice usually... For the observer, brings a smile, usually not for the participant, all right? So verse 5, uh, Haman enters, and the king's glad to see him because he wants some advice. There's, look at this, he gets right to it, the king. There's no good morning, uh, you know, oive, I couldn't sleep last night, and tell him the story. He wouldn't say oive because he's Gentile, but you know what I'm saying. So uh, the question comes out right away. Uh, your opinion, Haman. They haven't spoken. They're just face to face. He comes in. He's, he's loading the information to say, hey, I want this guy killed, right? So instead of getting to say, here's why I'm here, the king says, hey, I need some advice. What's the best way to honor someone around here for a job well done? And so Haman, you know, is thinking process is revealed because the Lord knows the motivation of our hearts and the secrets within. And so the Holy Spirit exposes him and says, here's what he was thinking. He's thinking, well, of course he's talking about me. Surely, who else would the king want to honor? You know, he's looking straight at me. You know, I don't blame him. He wants to honor me, you know? So I love that he doesn't take much time either because here comes Haman's long, his, his lifelong fantasy verses 7 through 9, is what he truly fantasizes about. And here it is. He says, let me have a little fun with a paraphrase, okay? He says, hmm, let me think about this, boss. The man the king delights to honor. Well, you could dress me, I mean, dress him in one of your royal robes, and lead me, him, lead him around on that favorite royal steed. You know the one you ride with the royal crest on its head. Parade him through the street, downtown Main Street, then down by my house so my family can see <laughs> him. And here's what to proclaim before him, nice and loud. You need, you need someone with big vocal cords, all right? He's going to have to say, listen up, all ye citizens of Persia. This could be you. If, like this man, you're honored for outstanding service. Uh, what's his fantasy? Haman could be, think of what Haman could ask there. He's, he's thinking, whatever comes out of my mouth is going to be mine. He could say anything, but he chooses that thing, that narcissistic thing. I want people's admiration. 
out of everything? He wants to be king for a day. That's what he's like a little child. He could be asking for houses and and riches and, and so many things, but instead he just wants people for one day to say, oh man, wow, what a guy. He'll trade his entire soul's destiny for other people's approval and admiration. It's like the devil's thing. It's the devil. It's the devil who said on his third temptation to Jesus, oh, all of this legally, technically is mine. I wrestled it away from your boy, Adam, and it belongs to me. And he showed Jesus the glory of the worlds. And he said, oh, I'll just give it to you. No messy cross, crucifixion. I'll just technically hand it over to you. Just one condition. Just bow down and worship me. Oh, you smell the same kind of fragrance behind this guy. Yes, I just want people to bow down and say, wow, look at that guy. I know. I know. We all know. That's why we're all so quiet right now. Like, (laughs) yikes. I know. So, yeah, Xerxes reaction, right? He says, perfect, man. Uh, You're the noble prince in the story, all right? So get that royal stallion from my palace stable, get a royal robe from my butler, and get Mordecai that Jew, and do exactly what you've just said, all right? And see to it that you don't leave anything out, all right? Um, Now, if ever there was a surprised look on somebody's face, (laughs) if Anyone ever had a fainting issue or a panic attack disorder? Dude, it's him. It is seriously him. So we imagine Haman and Mordecai. I just can't believe it. I mean, having an out-of-body experience as this process is going. He goes to the king's gate. He goes and pulls up to work, to the admin offices with the royal steed. And there he is, and he's like, here he is. I'm going to have to bow to him again, right? I'm not going to. And instead, he comes over, and he says, hey, get on the horse. What? Yeah, get on the horse. Here's a king's robe. And he had to put it on Mordecai the Jew. I think that both of them were like, is this a dream? Both, both of them. One's having a very good dream, and the other one's having a nightmare, right? So... Yeah, and by the way, most of the Persians in Susa, which is the capital there, they know. They know the relationship. Oh, people, okay, everybody knows. He built a gallows next to his house, 75. Hey, what's happening? I'm going to kill that Jew who works with me. You know, everybody knows, and now everybody sees him hauling Mordecai around saying, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the man of the hour. Oh, come on. The whole place is like, whoa, what's going on, right? Oh, wow. So Haman was, uh, if Haman were smart, he would have connected the dots. He listened to how the story could have gone. He could have just been so overcome with his own guilt and conviction and fear of God upon him, and God gave him the whole day. Dude, confess your sins, man. Uh, Strike a deal with this Jew, okay? Because he's now uh, honored above you, 
right? So confess what's going on. Say, hey, I've got a dinner appointment tonight with the king. Just come with me and we'll work it all out. I, 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 I did this terrible thing. We can undo it. You know, I just feel like I'm going to end up dead here, right? So no, he's not that smart. He's not going to do that. So I like to, re, re, to remind all of us that there's always a lifeboat. God always gives you that day where he's just allowing the, the, the foolishness and your sinfulness, the consequences to grind you into the dirt so that you will, will eke out just a simple prayer of confession and a simple pinch of a mustard seed's worth of trust in Jesus so that you can avert a total disaster. And had he done just a little repenting and just a pinch of confession and trust in Jesus, you would have been reading a whole other story. And it would be a good one. It would be a beautiful one. Never, one writer, never underestimate the goodness of God to grant reprieve even in the midst of our darkest hours and in the midst of our worst sins and well-deserved humiliations. So it's getting late. He's hauling them around. His voice is hoarse, right? The smell of dinners are, is cooking, you know, wafting through the streets of Susa, uh, and somebody's got a dinner engagement that evening. So verses 12 through 14. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. He went back to work. But Haman rushes home, his head covered in grief, and told Miss Messy Hair, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors, there you know that they work there. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is a Jew, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's officials arrive and hurry him and away to the banquet Esther has prepared. So the pride of man, the providence of God, poetic justice, and now pathetic fair-weather friends. So verse 12, Mordecai gets off the horse at the place he started, at work. And he goes back to finish up a few things, you know, after being king for the day. And, and, and on the other hand, Haman rushes home to be covered, having your head covered in Hebrew is to mourn as though somebody has died or about to die in this case. Now, uh, you know, there's new meaning to the question when he gets home and he sees the rush to, uh, how was your day, honey, right? I mean, that was a hard day for him. So Haman unburdens his soul to his wife and friends, the whole bizarre story, and even they see the writing on the wall. So uh, not exactly an encouraging response, but we didn't expect one from her, did we? Right? So here's what she says. Uh, Since your enemy is Jewish, and and you've basically declared him king, you're pretty much a goner. Too, Too bad, buddy. You know, bad karma, whatever. You're, you're, you're not going to make it through this one. So, uh, and then she says, by the way, how much life insurance did you have again? 
while they're talking and he's saying, you're not going to believe this. And then I had to say this and then I had to do that. There's, oh, Haman, he must have lost his appetite. Uh, he must have forgotten all about the royal banquet, you know. But the royal officials have come and said, man, where are you? They sent us to get you because you've got an appointment with Esther, Queen Esther, and the king. Things are moving rather swiftly now. Let's read and find out what happens. Last 10 verses here. Verse 1. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on that second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what's your petition? It'll be given you. What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen, Queen Esther answered, if I found favor with you, O king, this is her husband, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. That's my petition. And spare my people, that's my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. Well, then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Yeah, I think so. The king gets up in a rage, leaves his wine, and goes out to the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she's with me in the house? As soon as the word left that king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs, the attendants uh, to the king, says, A gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He made it for Mordecai, who spoke up to help you, O king. The king said, Uh, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. All right, pride of man, providence of God, poetic justice, pathetic friends, and now perfect paradox. Come on. It says over and over again that he dies in the same way on the gallows he prepared for his supposed enemy. And so it's showtime here in this chapter. Uh, the meal has finished. They're at the table. They're relaxing after everything's finishing up. And it's time for the big question. And this is the third time the king is going to ask her now. He asked her once in the throne room, once at the first banquet, and now again in the second banquet. And here's what he says. What's caused you to risk your life, sweetie? How can I help you? He calls her queen. That's a good sign. And the other reason she's encouraged is, no doubt, she heard today 
through the palace grapevine. Did you hear what happened with Mordecai and Haman? Oh, she knows. So she knows, oh, God is working. So tonight's the night. I mean, I failed last night, but this night it's going to come out. And it does, right? So he says, how can I ask? You know, your wish is my command. You know, you know I'll grant your request out with it. So verses 3 through 6, she's ready. She's pumped. She's primed. She's been practicing this over and over again. And it's suddenly it's going to burst like a, a shower, a rain shower in the desert. And so she's emboldened. And out it comes, you know. Uh, and remember, this is his wife. And remember, he's with a supernatural anointing, has fallen in love with God's assistance on top of her beauty. God, on top of her charm and on top of her being a gorgeous woman, God has assisted him to fall madly in love with her. Queen Esther, up to half of my kingdom means not up to half of my kingdom. It's an idiom that means up anything you want. Go in and ask me, you know? And so she says, gets right to the point. Here's my request, O king, if I find favor in all of this. She says, I need you to save my life. There's somebody trying to kill me. Someone's trying to kill me and not just me. They're going to murder me and my family. Well, the king, you know, she has his attention. I love what she says. Hey, I wouldn't bother you. If it were just like they were going to round us all up and ship us off as slaves somewhere, uh, that's petty in comparison to what's really happening. My life is in danger. I'm going to be murdered. And her husband, it's just, he's incredulous. He's like, I can hear him say, who is he? Like, come, are you kidding me? I mean, it's not possible somebody would dare to want to kill my wife. Who is he? I mean, point him out. Do you have a name? And she says, oh, I'll supply the name. And he's already going like this. So the king's like, what's your problem, man? He's just done nothing. I'm cold in here. <laughs> and so she says, the adversary, the enemy, is this wicked, vile Haman. Whoa. Several reactions to note as we finish up. Number one, Haman's terrified. Well, yeah, as well he should. The word there means to be struck dumbfounded, like to be beside yourself, like outside of your body, you know? Yeah, because he knows. He knows the, the jig is up. He's, I'm a dead man. You know, uh, Proverbs says in Proverbs 16, the wrath of a king is a messenger of death. So, so he really knows. I mean, he's having a really bad day, this guy. I mean, first he had to tote Mordecai around and say, hey, everybody, look at him. I wish he was dead. I wanted to hang him, but now the king loves him, and I'm toting him around on a horse, you know. And, and now the mask is pulled off, and, he, and his wicked plot is exposed here. So the doom is, is hanging heavy in the room. So King Xerxes gets up in a rage, and he leaves his wine. And, and the Bible tells you that for a reason, because anybody who knows him knows this is a really bad sign. 
He leaves his wine there. He's not interested anymore in, the, in anything except getting to the bottom of it. And then he goes out to the garden to process. He's got a lot to think about out there, and he's pacing. And meanwhile, you know, Amen. Uh, one, one guy really nailed it. He said, the arrogant bully became, as usual, in the face of danger, a whining coward. So while he's begging for his life, that king is trying to figure everything out. Number one, he, he, I'm married to a Jew. I didn't know. How did this happen? What did, you know, so he's processing this. And, 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 and then he's feeling like, is he angry at himself? He allowed himself. She uses the word bought. Bought appears in there a couple times. Who bought their destruction? Him. Haman sold it for $180 million, And who was the buyer? The king. He got duped into signing something to kill his own wife and to kill the guy who saved him, Mordecai. So he's processing. I signed to kill the guy who saved me and my own beloved wife. Thanks to this little deceiving conniver at the table. So he, he's processing all of this. And how could a friend do that kind of thing? And how do I reverse a Persian law? They're like irreversible. So he comes back in with all of this in his head to quite a surprise. Only to find Haman on the couch with Queen Esther, and it looks to him like he's hitting on his wife in, in the room. That's what it looks like to him. Bad timing once again for Haman. <laughs> Winky face, you know. Of all the time, you know, listen, the laws were about the king's wife. You do not come within seven feet of her. There's a, a measured out line or you die. So everybody was very particular about where their feet were when Queen Esther was in the room, let alone on top of the couch there with her. This is, he has violated the airspace, all right? And so Jewish tradition says this, that the angel Gabriel gave him the shove that pushed him over right when the king was walking in. Now, that's a Jewish legend. The rabbis love that story, right? And so they say, and we're very thankful to the angel Gabriel for his assistance there. And so there he is, you know, falling all over Esther. So before the king finished his sentence, the word just coming out of his mouth, they're already put a, a black sack over the guy's head. You know, uh, that's, you know, they still do that. There's a Persian um, custom, but they still, there's something about covering somebody's face before they're executed. Now, it's dead silent. The guy's head is covered. Everybody's kind of freaked out at all the adrenaline and screaming and yelling. And then one of the attendants goes, hey, King, um, it might be useful for you to know that Haman built a, a huge gallows next to his house. Let me tell you, it's 75 feet tall. Probably could do the, the, the trick there. Uh, to hang Mordecai. And then the official says, oh, by the way, Mordecai, just so you remember, the guy who saved your life 
He built the gallows for him, and it's right next to his house, and he wanted to come and see you today about hanging him on it. And the king goes, cha-ching. <laughs> Hang him on that gallows. So, wow. The last words in chapter 7 is that as Haman's carried off, whimpering like a little girl, the king's anger subsided. And the word in Hebrew there is the same word for the waters of the great flood to recede after the judgment there. And so there's a kind of a shout out there to God's justice. Even though God is never mentioned in the book, you see him maneuvering the whole throughout the whole story. And so justice is meted out. The stone is set up to roll over the boulder for Mordecai has rolled back and crushed him instead. And so really, the, the adversary's out of the way now, but the problem is not completely solved. The Persian law can't be altered. It can't be reversed. That's the, the you know, remember, uh, always through the book of Daniel, the law of the Medes and the Persians, once it's written, it's done, you can't undo it. And so there's a problem. And uh, Esther and Mordecai, how they solve that problem is the topic of the next chapter. And so why don't I have Nick come on up here and begin to lead us. And uh, I've got some closing thoughts here for us to take away from the story. And I've entitled it, Don't, don't Hang Around with, <laughs> Don't Hang Around with Haman. All right. So if you don't want to hang around with Haman, you want to make life all about the Lord and not all about you. So I don't want to be hanging with Haman. And what did Haman do? It was all about him. And when you're all about yourself, you're like Haman. And you're hanging with Haman. John the Baptist model, oh, I love it. He must increase. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. A way not to hang with Haman would be to be other-centered, a humble servant of the Lord. Who cares? Who cares what people think of me? Who cares? We, we should be thinking, who cares? We, we have an audience of one. We need to please him. That's where we're headed, eternal destiny. When I care inordinately about what people think of me and wanting them to admire, I'm like Haman. I'm hanging with Haman when I'm doing that kind of thing. And I don't want to do that. I want to be other-centered, uh, a servant of the Lord. The, the scripture says, never to think more of yourself than is merited, than you should. Never think of yourself more highly than you ought to. And then finally, never let anger and hate fester in you or to hold grudges for somebody because, you know, in a sense, what you're doing is building a gallows for them, right? Holding that grudge, hoping something terrible, you want to strike back and hurt. God says that's a no-no. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. 
It's mine to repay. I'll do it. Relax. That's not your department. You keep your heart sweet and full of trust and sweetness, and I'll take care of everybody. If you don't agree with that or do that, you're hanging with Haman, you're building the gallows nice and high and hoping to get that person there, whether you do it or it's indirect, that's a way to hang with Haman. You find yourself building gallows instead of being a peacemaker and serving the Lord. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do not want to hang with Haman at all. We don't want to hang around with him, nor do we wish to swing and hang with him as a result of mishandling life. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would show us what's necessary for us from these chapters and to put them, those truths into practice. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.